Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Glad to have all of you back with us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Um, Today... We are going to go back to our political mode Um, after having covered the Republican and Democratic conventions closely for two weeks. We got away from politics for a couple of shows, but we're back to it today. And uh, we have some important conversations to have, uh, starting with a brand new poll that has just been released by WSB TV. It was uh, commissioned uh, by Roundtree, uh, by uh, Landmark Communications Founder and President uh, Mark Roundtree is with us. Uh, Mark, I'm really glad you could be with us uh, to talk about this poll today. And in introducing you, we need to say, uh, as we do whenever you're on this show, uh, while you are a Republican political consultant, you, you, you usually work with Republican candidates, your polling is always uh, uh, considered some of the most straightforward and accurate polling uh, that we have in Georgia. So, Mark, I'm glad you're here. Let me introduce the uh, rest of the panel. Um, we also, for the first time, are joined by Nabila Islam, uh, who you uh, know is a, a member of the state legislature, ran for uh, 7th District uh, uh, in Congress, a Democratic primary, and now is the founder of the Progressive List. Nabila, what is the Progressive List? The Progressive List is an organization that's going to help progressive candidates in the beginning and give them the early support, the uh, monetary and uh, organizational support from the beginning. So to make them into early front runners instead of waiting until the last minute. So trying to get more progressive candidates elected to office. Well, it's a pleasure to have uh, you with us today. Heath Garrett, uh, you know Heath from this show, Republican political consultant, longtime advisor to uh, Johnny Isaacson and a uh, welcome panelist on this show all the time. How are you doing, Heath? Bill, doing great. Great, great to be with you today. And it's good to have you here. Riley Bunch is with us today again. She's the Georgia State House reporter for CNHI News, which may not be familiar to uh, those of you who live in the metro Atlanta area, but if you're from any other part of the state, Riley, they probably read your uh, writing in papers where? Valdosta, one of your big markets, where else? Uh, we have Dalton as a big market for us, Mosville and Tifton, quite a few others around the state. Thanks for coming back and joining us today. And it's Wednesday, which means that uh, my partner on the show today is uh, Greg Bluestein, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hey, Greg, how are you doing? Great. It's a very special Wednesday. Today is my anniversary with my wife, Cheryl. So very exciting house day, uh, day in the Bluestein household. A giant mazel tov to you and Cheryl. Congratulations. That's wonderful. How many years? 13, lucky 13, and quite the year to have a 13th anniversary in this pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Greg, while I've got you, we're going to go to Mark uh, Roundtree on this. But I want to look, political geeks, political journalists like us, When we love to see things like Mark Roundtree's poll and uh, we'll let Mark dig into it, but Greg, he does show uh, that uh, as a result, in the aftermath of both conventions, President Trump seems to have gotten a bump here, Greg. 
Yeah, what was interesting about Mark's poll is that he asked the same questions, um, did the same weighting formula, um, the same number of, of likely voters as he did two weeks ago right at the start of the Democratic National Convention. So this gives us an interesting contrast from two weeks ago, the beginning of the, con the conventions to now. And two weeks ago, it showed roughly even race between Joe Biden and President Trump in Georgia, which is what a lot of other polls had shown. His is the only poll we've seen since the RNC ended, fully done after the RNC ended. And it shows uh, Trump with a 48 to 41 lead over Joe Biden in Georgia. And that's beyond the 4.4 percentage point margin of error. Yeah, Mark, I think that's one of the most significant things about it is the timing of your poll. When were you, you So the Republican convention, of course, ended last Thursday. When were you in the field to gather your data? We were in the field, uh, first of all, about two weeks ago, a little more than that, on uh, the 14th and 15th of August to do a pre-convention poll. We wanted to compare it to what would be going on on the back end, and we were doing these polls exclusively for Channel 2 uh, WSB-TV, just so I have that clear. Um, the survey that we then ran uh, after the conventions was done August 29th, 30th, and 31st, which uh, was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and the conventions ended Thursday, excuse me, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So um, we uh, were in the field after those conventions. So, but you had some data before you did a pre-convention poll that have we yes. seen the re results on that? I'm just curious what the contrast is. Well, the, the original survey done uh, in mid-August before the, uh, just days before the Democratic convention, which was first, went, the Democrats went first before the Republicans. Um, that one had Trump leading by a 47 to 45 margin. That was within the margin of error, uh, which was also 4.4%. And what was striking was the post-convention survey we found. Um, that one was, uh, like Greg has already stated, has a lead for President Trump by a 48 to 41 margin in Georgia. Yeah. Um, I want to let everybody else get a chance at asking questions or commenting on this, but let me ask one more uh, before I do, Mark. You know better than anyone that when you're polling Georgia voters, um, there are a couple of factors that are very important. One is how you weigh the African-American vote, the black vote, um, because that can make all the difference in the world in your results. How did you weigh the black vote in both the pre-convention and, and this poll? Uh, in both of them, blacks were approximately 31 percent of the vote. Um, they, it, that is the thing that I think is the most relevant uh, weighting factor. And a lot of national companies, when they kind of breeze through Georgia, throw in a poll overnight, they don't take the time to really pay attention to the weighting of likely African-American turnout in a Georgia general election. So you'll often see national pollsters assuming like 27, 28 percent African-American turnout. Well, since nearly, I mean, it's not literally, but it's nearly 100 percent of African-Americans, um, it's, it's probably in the 95 percent range, are voting for Democratic candidates, historically speaking. I've got to point that out always. Just historically speaking, that's been the fact. Um, if you're off by 3 percent of the African-American vote in your projection, you're off by nearly 3 percent in your poll. So we do take a lot of care to make sure these are weighted correctly for a likely general election turnout yeah, he, based on race, gender, yeah. yes, age. Um, Heath, that we, we understand how significant it is to look at the black vote accurately. Otherwise, you're just not getting a good result on a Georgia poll. 
No, no, that's exactly right. I think that's a great waiting mark uh, for where I think, you know, voter turnout is going to be. We're looking at, you know, historically high turnout in every community in the state of Georgia, uh, but definitely uh, need to be in that 31% range. And of course, I think uh, my Democratic opponents are trying to figure out if they can increase that just a little bit. Um, you know, we saw 2012, uh, 2008, 2012, uh, President Obama was able to get close to those numbers or exceed them. And uh, then again, Stacey Abrams in 2018 was able to change the electoral mix. Now, part of that was because uh, Donald Trump wasn't on the ballot. And so I think what we're seeing here is a little bit of that Trump bump starting to come back home. This is where Republican and Democratic presidential candidates have been about the beginning of September, really since the state turned red. What was unique was how close Biden was a month ago. And we're also seeing trends like this in other battleground states around the country. I would just jump in there and add that I think it highlights the challenge that the Democrats are facing when trying to win swing vote and undecided voters in rural and red areas of the state, which is a virtual platform that they're sticking to. They they can't get out and get face to face with these voters. And I think the messages that were promoted in the RNC were just strong enough to win over some of those voters that the Democrats needed. Mark, I respect your Nabila? work. Uh, I, hi, uh, Mark, I really respect your work. I will say this is one poll. I think the state is going to go back and forth. Um, we, we There's about 9.3 percent undecided. Uh, as uh, he's mentioned, this is we have uh, historic turnout, and I think that we're going to see. Uh, I think the polls are actually the state is actually closer than we think, according to this poll. Um, I think the margins, the the score is going to be run up in Gwinnett County and Cobb County because of demographic changes. Uh, people of color are ridiculously um, energized about uh, voting in November, and I think. Uh, Chairwoman Bianca Keaton in Gwinnett County is actually investing close to 200 grand in voter turnout, something that's never happened before. So Democrats are taking this seriously, and we're going to make sure that we flip this, uh, the state flip. Yes, I think, uh, you know, just so it's very clear, and I make this clear on social media, I make it clear to anyone who asks, this is not a projection of how the election will turn out. This is a projection just simply stating if the election were held today, these would be the results. Uh, as far as uh, I think what the survey really shows is that there is, and I think this is actually interesting, it's a little more volatile than we've all considered. Up to now, even the Trump campaign, I think uh, all campaigns have been focused on just a get-out-the-vote model. Like, there's there's not a whole lot of volatility in the electorate. I think the conventions shook things up a little bit, and I think the riots have shook things up a little bit and, and concerned a lot of people. The the sort of soft approach that uh, Biden has taken in response. I do have one other point. Um, among people, what the survey showed, um, among people who watched both the Republican and the Democratic convention, they were choosing the Republican candidate for president by a 50 to 38 margin. I think that that is indicative of the conventions actually having a significant, more significant impact than I think any of us might have originally assumed since they were essentially Zoom Conventions. That's pretty Mark, fascinating. I want to right? ask you. Yeah, Mark, I want to ask you about this because your last poll showed Trump's numbers relatively stayed the same, but it was Biden's numbers that dropped about three percentage points. Um, and the number of undecided voters basically doubled um, since your last poll, too. One thing that struck stuck out at me was how Trump has continued to consolidate Republican support in these polls, 87 or something percent. Uh, well, Biden has some work to do. Um, you said that basically it shows that 
that Biden's floor might be a little bit lower than than uh, than we previously suspected in Georgia. Uh, what do you think he needs to do um, and where do you think he can improve? Right. President Trump's vote essentially went up a point. It was a lot of this is a loss in uh, Joe Biden's uh, support. It was more people saying I'm undecided. Um, so uh, which, again, this is, I think, uh, greatly impacted by the national conventions and, and the, the riots and the violence that we've seen. Um, so nine percent of the people told us that they were uh, undecided. And that goes to uh, kind of the premise that there is sort of a, a floor that is farther for Vice President Biden than we might have originally thought. But I think we all sort of saw this as basically an even game, and it was fairly stable that way. And I think it doesn't necessarily appear that way anymore. No, and I would agree with Mark's assessment there, right? We had two things that have transpired over the last month. Uh, number one, you saw the rise in violence and its coverage nationally as the Trump campaign went on television defining Democrats in battleground states, not just Georgia. We're talking about North Carolina, Ohio, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and others. We started to see Biden's numbers, negatives, grow during that period of time. Uh, and people become more undecided about him. Uh, he also picked a vice presidential candidate. So there were people who were for him who were now starting to say, okay, I can now compare Coke versus Pepsi uh, and, and may not love the, the choice. Uh, and then the third thing, these conventions, there's no question we've seen in all the other battleground stats, which are backing up what Mark's numbers are showing that you're moving suburban women and even suburban white men back into the un undecided category and back into, I need to really think about this. And I do think that the uh, protests and violence are driving uh, and law and order are driving the messages there. So um, I want to, I know Riley, you want to jump back in and I'm going to let you do this up, but I want to make a couple of points here, Mark, uh, uh, because I think it's important to look at your, your polling and, and drill down into some of the cross tabs here. First of all, thank you for saying this is a snapshot of today. Nabila, you weigh in on that by saying, uh, obviously, you believe the election is still volatile. So we accept all of, of that, even as uh, we see that apparently the post uh, Republican uh, convention bump was pretty good for Trump. But, okay, Mark, a couple of quick uh, uh, numbers here. I think I'm correct in saying generally that Trump's strength in Georgia, according to your poll, comes from voters over the age, particularly of age 40. Also, yeah. we need to say that is particularly strong and not surprisingly with men, there's a huge gap between Trump and Biden when it comes to the female vote. First of all, the Trump male vote is 54% compared to Biden's 34%, a 20-point gap. The female vote is 43% for uh, Trump and 47% for uh, Biden. So Biden's got to do better with women voters based on the numbers you show there, doesn't he, Mark? Yeah, that is that is exactly the point. In fact, in Georgia history... Uh, that we have ever tracked going back 40 years of reporting. There has not been an election held where men are a majority of the election. Women are always a majority of the voters of the election. And um, that has been because a significant number of African-Americans, if you just isolate African-American voters, a very large portion of them, 60 percent perhaps, are also uh, are female. So of there are 
there, there is going to be a big need for uh, Biden to perform better with that to offset the mail vote. This is kind of a traditional mail vote for Republicans. It's really kind of a loss among females. Right. Just jumping in there and changing the subject a little bit. I want to ask Greg a question because I thought that it was interesting to compare the the involvement of Georgia speakers and Georgia politicians in the DNC versus the RNC. And I was wondering, Greg, I know you covered it um, quite quite thoroughly. What what was the what are these poll numbers surprising after Georgia, you know, had only one speaker at the RNC? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think that that. Um that the number of speakers um, was more to, to appeal to Georgia voters. I think it more showed the future of both parties. And in the Democratic side, you've got a, a number of up-and-coming sort of Democratic stars like Stacey Abrams, like Mayor Bottoms, like Sam Park, uh, who the party wanted to spotlight, uh, whereas the Republican side, the only Georgia speakers were, the only political speaker was a Democrat, Vernon Jones, and the only other uh, speaker with really deep Georgia ties was Herschel Walker. Um, so that might have affected the rating some, I guess, in Georgia. Um, but I think as Mark's poll showed, um, the, the, the people who watch both conventions, um, you know, the people who only watch one convention were obviously skewed toward that, that party. But the people who watch both conventions, um, they kind of lean toward, well, in a, in a major way, 50 to 38 to President Trump. Um, I do think that Republicans, I was surprised that the only political speaker at the RNC was a uh, was a Democrat from Georgia, <laughs> the only Georgian. Um, but also, you know, some some Republicans um, might not have wanted that spotlight right now. Um, you know, while, while while just as Republicans are are some are competing for Trump's favor, other Republicans are more than happy uh, to be kind of left out of that 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 showcase right now. Uh, Nabilo, I want to get you in here. Uh, we do also want to point out that uh, Stacey Abrams' group, Fair Fight, had a presidential poll that they commissioned from Public Policy Polling, which is a left-leaning polling firm, typically. Uh, but they showed this race neck and neck. The difference is, Roundtree, he's post-convention. The right. PPP yeah. poll was pre-convention, Nabila. Go ahead, Nabila, make yes. your point. That the DNC and the RNC both had different messaging tactics, whereas the DNC was more more or less addressing, I guess, swing voters. Um, the RNC basically gave their base red meat, and I think turned, you know, got their base super excited. Um, so that might explain um, your poll, uh, Mark. But I think with you know two months until election day, there's a lot of work to be done, and I think uh, Democrats are really appalled about how Donald Trump has been reacting to uh, these protests in, in Portland. Um, in Wisconsin. And so I, I think it's it's definitely going to move up. Well, I, you know, I'll respond to that. This, you know, I think that number one, the RNC actually was pretty smart about targeting suburban uh, voters, uh, not just in Georgia, but around around the country in their messaging, uh, in, in their visuals, in their, <laughs> their optimistic uh, version of the future, uh, giving people hope. I think that's a, an important part of what the suburban focus groups are showing us around the country. And number two, I will say anecdotally, Mark, uh, you, you see this too with our clients around the state, that uh, we have a number of our clients who been out and about over the last four or five days, the enthusiasm level that Nabila talked about that I think the Democrats had a month ago, there was no question there was an enthusiasm gap on the side of Democrats. Uh, that has gone away. The enthusiasm on the uh, by Republican activists uh, out there, as shown by the flotillas on the lakes this past weekend, as shown by the attendance over the last four or five days, uh, Republican voters are, are coming home, uh, and they're but they're much more enthusiastic in Georgia than they were a month ago. There's no question. 
I do want to. Uh, Greg, is that what you're seeing? You're spending a lot of time. Yeah, go ahead, Mark, and then I want to get Greg back. Yeah. Um, just as a, uh, a side note, other polling companies are finding the same things when they're polling exclusively after the national conventions. During the conventions, um, you were finding uh, it was a little more pro Biden. Um, but for example, someone sent me Morning Consult yesterday. It's a polling uh, aggregator uh, company. They were polling and they showed Biden up after the election. But what people didn't understand is they do what's called a rolling poll. So they included all polls mm-hmm. in their uh, operation that daily had uh, come for 10 days. So it still had a residual but lower, much lower Biden, pro-Biden vote. I think anyone who is polling after election is finding a, a pretty significant jump in the Republican vote um, and, the, and a bit of a depression in the uh, Biden vote. And just to restate the point, it's not a projection of the election. It's just stating that if the election were held today, these would be the results. Uh, Greg, final point before our break. Are you see you're on the campaign trail a lot. Are you seeing what he's talking about, a sudden increase in Republican enthusiasm as opposed to Democratic enthusiasm? Uh, or is that what he as a Republican wants to see? <laughs> Well, it's always hard to gauge these things, but it's especially hard this year because of yeah. the pandemic. And frankly, because Republicans are out there doing events. Uh, I've gone to five or six Republican events in the last four or five days, and Democrats aren't. And no, no Democrats are really uh, doing actively uh, active campaign event. Um, but so far, what we've seen from Joe Biden's campaign is although he's invested in Georgia, although he's, he's airing ads in Georgia, although he's hired staff in Georgia, he's still not putting Georgia on the same level as as you know those those upper midwest battleground states that he truly needs to win pennsylvania wisconsin michigan the like um and and it just still remains to be seen whether or not he'll have a uh, a campaign stretch visit down here all right i gotta get to a break uh, but i do also want to expand on what you just said very briefly greg um, where if Biden hasn't quite fully committed to Georgia yet, we have to say that the Trump campaign here and the Georgia Republican Party are crowing about the fact that they are putting a major ground game operation in place. They're talking about having made some six million touches already with Georgia voters in one way or another, having an extensive operation here. Uh, so we're going to have to watch to see. Uh, how that ground game develops, which is so crucial to voter turnout. All right, Um, Mark Roundtree, thank you so much for taking time to share your poll with us. You've really given us a lot to think about and uh, kind of created some benchmarks for us to look at in the uh, weeks ahead. And we're grateful that Channel 2 paid for your poll, but we got to take advantage of it on the show today. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. You know you're always welcome to come back. Thank you. Um, with Go that, let's take a break. We'll be back uh, right after these messages. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. It's Wednesday on Political Rewind, and so I'm joined by my Wednesday partner, Greg Bluestein, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Riley Bunch, 
who is the State House reporter for CNHI News, which uh, you'll see in many of uh, you, you'll see their newspapers in a number of uh, cities outside of Metro Atlanta. Nabila Islam joins us for the first time. She is now the uh, uh, founder of the Progressive List. But, you know, Nabila, I'm really glad. And by the way, Heath Garrett, a Republican political consultant, is also here. Nabila, I'm glad I didn't mention you and ground you in Gwinnett County when I introduced you at the beginning of the show. And so I'm glad you did that. And with that in mind, I want to pick up on what we talked about just before the break. Uh, the Trump campaign, as I said, and the Georgia GOP feel very excited about the kind of ground game they're developing here. Now, we also know that Fair Fight, Stacey Abrams groups and others will certainly be out there. But when you hear the Republicans talk about how they're developing their voter lists, uh, their efforts to reach out and get people to the polls in a couple of weeks. How are, are you worried Democrats are behind on that or, or are we just not hearing as much about it? I think that uh, Democrats are certainly uh, working on our strategy. Uh, you know, we know we know that the state was never promised to us. And so we know we have to work 10 times as harder in Gwinnett County. As I mentioned before, uh, the, the party is actually investing about close to $200,000 for absentee ballot chasing and to protect our vote at the uh, at the ballot box. Uh, on, on the past primary June 9th election, 20% of uh, machines were inoperable the morning of, and they were in uh, predominantly 80% Democratic precincts. So we're going to try to make sure that that, that doesn't happen again. And, and Bill, this is no doubt, make no mistake, the Democratic uh, Party, the Fair Fight, and all the organizations that Stacey Abrams has been working on for the last uh, six years are in full swing. I think it's not as big a news because it's been going on. Everybody knows that story. I do think what's mm -hmm. new is that we as Republicans have gone to school and learned from uh, Stacey and what she did so successfully in the in the build up to the 2018 election. Uh, we've been much smarter in our recruitment of candidates around the state of Georgia who fit the communities that they're uh, looking to represent. And I think that the Trump campaign, the Georgia Republican Party, and 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 consultants who maybe didn't pay as much attention to grassroots. I mean, Johnny Isaacson built his campaign on grassroots always. That's that gave him a four or five point bump over President Trump and uh, 20. 16 in Georgia, but others are starting to come to this fruition. I do think we're going to start to match the, the Democratic Party. But make no mistake, uh, the Democratic Party nationally is focused on Georgia, trying to turn it into a battleground, and we're just going to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen. Greg? Yeah, that's the kind of the paradox of this situation, right? In, in 2018, Stacey Abrams came within 55,000 votes of defeating Brian Kemp because in part of her vast ground game. I mean, she focused really, really early. She spent an inordinate amount of effort early in the race before she became a national phenom um, on, on, on this grass, which was going to be the template for Democrats in 2020 to expand their voter contact. And instead, because of the pandemic, Democrats are left trying to find virtual outlets to do so, reaching voters by text and, you know, still reaching voters, but just not in person, while Republicans are kind of taking that mantle and doing it. And I was at the Georgia Republicans uh, watch party on Thursday where Stuart Bragg said, uh, the, the executive director of the Georgia GOP talked about reaching hundreds of thousands of voters since June in person because candidates, Republican candidates and Republican grassroots field operatives are out there knocking on those doors. Whereas I had to do a digital uh, 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 training thing with Democrats to see what they were doing. 
and they were talking about how they have to keep voters. They they, they feel like uh, they, they can't expose voters to the virus at all. And so they're relying on new ways to reach voters digitally and, and virtually rather than doing uh, what their game called had the pandemic not, not, uh, not erupted. I would completely agree with Greg on that. I feel in, in the beginning when um, Democrats took this more virtual platform, it was when the pandemic was in the front line of news. And now the ground game of the Republicans getting out on the face and the enthusiasm building there, I think it really highlights how the, the conversation has shifted in the topics and shifted from the pandemic. And um, now we have different topics that are more important and getting face-to-face that are more important for their ground game. Um, all right. That's Thank you, Riley, for giving us an opportunity to move to the next subject I wanted to discuss. You just said you believe the conversation has shifted from the pandemic to other topics. We're going to talk about that. And, Nabil, I'm going to give you the first crack at this. Um, we, we know that as long as the number one topic uh, of conversation in this election is on President Trump's handling of the virus, every poll shows us that he's at a complete disadvantage. His handling of the virus is completely underwater in all of the polls. And so uh, the president has tried to turn the conversation in a different direction. And with that in mind, what he's talking about, of course, on his visit to Kenosha yesterday from the White House, from the news conferences he's been having uh, in the press briefing room, he now talks about Democrats as fomenters of violence, radical leftist activity. He goes so far as to call uh, Joe Biden a puppet of some unknown forces. For instance, let's listen. By now, you've all heard this, but it's worth playing again to what he told Laura Ingram on Fox News the other night. Apparently, we don't have it. Um Nabila, we know what he said. He told uh, Laura Ingram that there were dark forces that were pulling Joe Biden's puppet, the, the strings. Uh, Joe Biden was the puppet. And he alluded to an airplane filled with men dressed in black headed uh, to some unknown location, presumably to foment violence. But but he made it, he went even further uh, when he was in Kenosha yesterday um, and uh, talked about the fact that uh, there were that these people on the airplanes that he claims were out there were anarchists, looters, rioters, and agitators who were headed into American cities. Um, you said earlier in the show that you think the voter response to this sort of uh, uh, rhetoric by the president is going to, in the long run, work against him. But is it changing the conversation that people are having about law and order? When you're an ineffective president, I guess you have to resort to conspiracy theories. Uh, I think, look, I, I, I think that um, he, for him to say that Biden is a radical president and supporting looters, I think that no one's going to believe that except maybe his base. Uh, we all know that you know, Biden is a moderate Democrat. Uh, I think, if anything, this will do a little bit of swaying and cementing. So they'll sway some Republicans that are absolutely disgusted by how Donald Trump is addressing uh, these protests. I, he even said uh, about Rittenhouse, the, the man that shot two people in Kenosha, uh, quote, he was trying to get away from them. I guess it looks like, I guess he was in very big trouble. He would, he probably would have been killed. And so trying to uh, subtly justify it, um, that's disgusting. And I think that uh, Republicans that are on the fence will probably 
uh, not have uh, the uh, won't find it within themselves to vote for someone like him. And I think if anything, it'll show Democrats that this man is who he is. He's uh, ineffective and trying to run away from the fact that 170,000 people have already died from the pandemic. And he's just trying to change the conversation. So, Heath, it strikes me that that someone like you, who worked so many years with Johnny Isaacson, uh, there must be a strange disconnect in your head as you watch this Republican presidential campaign shape up. On one hand, from a political point of view, technically, it may be very smart of the Trump campaign to try to focus attention away from the pandemic. And so far, they're doing it. Look at us. That's what we're talking about on this show today. On the other hand, a Johnny Isaacson Republican is not the sort of person who condones just where the president is headed with these dark conspiracy theories. Well, look, I mean, the, the president, there's a, there's a difference between conspiracy theories and hyperbole. Um, if, we're, if we're still discussing whether or not this president uh, says outlandish things and, and uses hyperbole, we're, we're way past that uh, in this country. Both sides are engaged in some pretty uh, destructive rhetoric at this stage. We are at Labor Day, which is the natural kickoff of these presidential campaigns. There's one of the most popular videos on the internet right now is a scroll of all of the Democratic elected officials in the country who are calling for violence, right, against the president or, you know, in some way, shape, or form. And so I think both sides should tone down the rhetoric. Uh, if, if John, and this is where we miss Johnny Isaacson, Bill, right? He was usually able to jump in and call balls and strikes. Uh, some of those folks have left the Senate like Johnny, and, and, and that's unfortunate in this scenario. I will go back to your political question, though. As a purely political point, uh, I don't think it's the president who changed the subject uh, over the course of the last couple of months. I think the Democrats are just now catching up with that. I think the actual events on the ground in American cities has given the president the opportunity to uh, to uh, have an, another discussion besides uh, COVID. And politically, uh, it's working because folks in these cities are talking to their suburban friends and there's real concern out there and he's putting a voice to it uh sure i'd like for everybody right, to tone but, down the but, rhetoric but but uh, that's where we are as a society all right i i, I want to pick up greg i want to get you in but but a couple things first uh number one i am not aware i would love heath if you will share with us you mentioned a, a commercial that shows a scroll of all the democrats who have called for violence uh, I, I don't I'm not aware of that. I'd love to see it because I'm not sure what mainstream Democrats are involved in calling for violence against presidents. So please, by all means, share that with us. Uh, but, Greg, the other point here is that President Trump no longer it isn't a matter of cities in flames because demonstrators, the mass of demonstrators are out there rioting. It is in a couple of cities, Portland, one of them, which has had a long history of anarchistic behavior that has nothing to do with the current situation. And it is a small minority, but the president insists that that demonstrators and rioters are one and the same. So I think in a way the Republicans are being a little, he's being, I know what he's saying, but, but Greg, I think he's being a little disingenuous. Yeah, well, it's, and it's a slap in the face to, to the hundreds of thousands of people around around the country, including in Atlanta, who peacefully demonstrated for for social justice and an end to police brutality, um, because they're, you know, as they would say, as, as particularly those that we interviewed here in Georgia, um, their protests got hijacked in a few occasions by uh, 
by folks who would loot and, and, and perpetrate, perpetrate violence and other. Clearly, it is working. Um, and you can see that here in Georgia because you've had Democratic, top Democratic officials in Georgia running for office having to respond. And just yesterday, you had John Ossoff, the nominee to face David Perdue, and Reverend Warnock, who's the leading Democrat in the contest to face Senator Leffler, both go out there and for the first time unequivocally condemn um, looting, rioting, in their words, and uh, shift shift some of the blame to President Trump and Republicans. But still, they had to kind of echo what Joe Biden did um, this week, which was to say that the rioting, rioting and looting is unacceptable and dangerous. And you've heard Republicans echo President Trump's line, which is saying the country isn't safe under Joe Biden. Well, now Republicans like David Perdue are saying the country won't be safe under with the Senator John Ossoff. So both of them are kind of channeling uh, the presidential candidates in their parties over this this uh, this unrest. All right, Heath, I gave a, I gave you a little shot there. I want to give you a chance to respond. <laughs> no, look, look, look that, that's fair. But, you know, I think President Trump, right, has rightfully grabbed on to a legitimate issue that actually came up from the cities themselves. We just lost. Oh. Are we? Now we got you again. We're having a All little right, problem, sorry. but try again. Yeah, can you hear me now? <laughs> the uh, Yeah. The, uh, you know, look, the, 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 this is a real issue around the country. I know that some folks are trying to act like it's just a few agitators in every city that's flown in from somewhere else to create, uh, you know, mass violence. And yes, we, we as Republicans have been very clear. You have a First Amendment constitutional right to peaceful protest. All of our candidates are saying that, including the president, are saying they're peaceful. What's not happening in Portland and Kenosha and what didn't happen in the city of Atlanta is strong leadership from Democrats. Democratic mayors and from some Democratic governors to deal with uh, what was happening. And people were legitimately concerned about this. And so uh, we can discuss the rhetoric uh, and the tone from both parties. Uh, Johnny Isaacson and I would say they both need to tone it down. Everybody on the Democratic side needs to be conscious of their implied uh, rhetoric as well as the President of the United States. Uh, I don't think it's going to get settled to the to that, that part's not going to be settled to the election. Elections have consequences. But law and order and lawlessness and the failure of the Democratic Party to address that at this point is legitimate. And I just got to say, uh, Joe Biden looks like a prisoner being forced to speak these words. There was no enthusiasm for it. Uh, the Democratic candidates you know, don't want to address it. It wasn't until CNN put a poll out that said he needed to address it, that he came out and even mentioned it. So I think that our Democratic friends have a real problem. And it's, it's, they've been running these cities for a long, long time. And uh, – president i think he's gonna be able to drive this home all right nabila let me get you in here to, to respond to the extent you want to sure um i think his trump strategy is to quite literally ignore the fact that he is president right now and while this is all happening and joe biden is not and it's hard to run on law and order when all of this is actually happening under his watch um i also think that the the messaging on the Democratic side, uh, I think, should be a little bit but stronger. I, I think that we need to address, you know, the roots of these protests and be, you know, talk about racial justice, talk about, you know, why people are on the streets, police brutality, uh, you know, double down on our messaging and really give people reason to vote. Because right now people want to be seen and heard. All right, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way. We still have a lot to talk about on Political Rewind, and we'll do that when we come back. 
Heath Garrett, Nabila Islam, Riley Bunch, Greg Bluestein, uh, joining us for the final segment of Political Rewind today. Before we get back to the conversation, just a quick program note. Uh, tomorrow on Political Rewind, we're going to play a conversation that I had with the acclaimed and Pulitzer Prize winning historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. Uh, we talked when her most recent book, Leadership in Turbulent Times, was published. And as Heath Garrett has already mentioned, you know, the traditional start of the presidential campaign season is right after Labor Day. Of course, those rules are out the window that we never stop campaigning. Nevertheless, with the campaign moving into full swing right after Labor Day, this seemed to be a terrific time uh, to play that show again. Uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin talks about the crises that were faced by Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson and the qualities they brought to bear to resolve those crises. A terrific conversation to have as voters continue to make up their minds about uh, the presidential election. Also a note, Heath Garrett, you did just send us uh, a a video which uh, you says, I haven't had a chance to look at it because we're still on the air, but uh, which you are say supports your notion that there are a number of Democrats who have called for violence against the president. We'll look for that. Thank you, Heath, for sending it. Uh, and we'll see how, how I, I, that goes. I think it's rhetoric, Bill. I think it's rhetoric on both sides. And I think that's the point I make here. So we would probably, people need to check that out. Okay. But. Okay, okay, I got you. Um, Greg Greg Bluestein, Riley Bunch, let me get both of you in here at the start of this uh, uh, segment. Um, Greg, you made the point that um, candidates on uh, for the U.S. Senate, for instance, John Ossoff, David Perdue, Kelly Leffler, others, are already mimicking the rhetoric that's coming out of uh, their campaigns, whether it's Biden's or Trump's. And, and part of that is because there's no such thing. All politics isn't local anymore. It's all coming from the top. So, Greg, here's one of the things that, um, and you may have very well have covered this rally, that Kelly Leffler said the other day uh, when she was in Dalton, the left is coming after the president nonstop. They're coming after me. They know that we don't Oh, anyone in Washington, the swamp, the fake news, the career politicians, we don't owe them anything. All we owe to the American people, to Georgians, is our best to protect and defend the values that made this country great. Uh, She could have been talking uh, about uh, the way President Trump is running his campaign, Greg. Yeah, I mean, isn't it a far cry from where we thought when she was announced back in December of her campaign strategy, which which was— you know, I, I, I think ideally um, her supporters back then wanted her to be a, a you know, a, a kind of softer approach to, Republic, to Republicanism in Georgia um, to appeal to those kind of moderate swing voters who have fled the party. But instead, because Doug Collins is in that race, she can't afford to be outflanked on the right. And so she is echoing President Trump's rhetoric. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's kind of almost indistinguishable. If you had just seen a transcript of it and asked who's saying this, uh, it could well be um, Governor Kemp or or President Trump. Uh, you know, that, that that's how closely they're, they're you're hewing these lines. Um, uh, uh, Riley, uh, on the other hand, we have John Ossoff who issued a statement about the violence in Kenosha and Portland. The violence such as that witnessed in Kenosha and Portland is unacceptable. I condemn in the strongest terms rioting, looting, and violence, whether and violence, whether instigated by fringe actors on the extreme left or on the extreme right. And I continue to urge peaceful protest instead of violence. The overwhelming majority of Americans want domestic tranquility and peace. 
on their streets. And then he goes on to condemn President Trump's deliberate efforts to pour fuel on the fire. So, Riley, there you have it. Uh, the presidential campaigns having a big impact on how the candidates for Senate and certainly Congress and other races in Georgia are going to frame their campaigns in the weeks ahead. Absolutely. John, John Ossoff's campaign has mentioned this a, a number of times, you know, calling out extremism on both the left and the right. We saw it from Joe Biden in his speech subtly, whether it was subtle or not. He, you know, he called out that as well. And I, I think that this is something that we're see. We're going to see the same rhetoric in our congressional races in Georgia as we're going to see on the national level. And I think the interesting thing that you have to think about from there, I know, Bill, you mentioned it isn't local anymore, it's coming from the top, is how this rhetoric is going to trickle down into the local and state races as well. And I'll be curious to see in those campaigns how that turns out. Um, Nabila Islam. Tell us about how you're, you're up there. You were you tried your best to win the uh, Democratic nomination in the seventh district. How do you see the rhetoric coming out of uh, the Trump campaign affecting uh, the uh, race in the seventh district? I I think, I think we've Trump lost Nabila. Oh, there you are. You, Good. Can you hear me? Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, yep. I, I was going to say, I think the Trump rhetoric is a really, it's polarizing. Um, I think, if anything, it's just feeding his base. Um, I think that Democrats are, uh, are disgusted by um, how he's addressing uh, the protests and um, trying to make it seem like um, that the violence on some of these protesters are justified. Um, I think it's, if anything, it's energizing Democrats to come out and vote. Um, we just we can't take another four years of this. And so I think that Gwinnett County, as in 2016, will go blue again with a, and hopefully run up the score here. Um, and then also, I think the seventh will definitely uh, flip blue this time around. All right. We're going to be watching uh, all of these races. Heath, do you want to get a quick word in before we move on? Well, I just thought we, you know, it's an interesting political science uh, to watch this special election with Kelly Leffler having to run a Republican primary in the middle of a general election. I think that's one big issue. And then, Bill, y'all are so right on in this discussion. Most of the time, one campaign or the other is trying to nationalize or localize the presidential campaign. Both campaigns are trying to nationalize this election uh, at the same time. Yeah. And I think we haven't seen that in the modern era. All right. I think that's exactly right. And that's one of the reasons it's going to be so interesting to watch in the weeks ahead. Greg Blustein, very quickly, before we uh, have to end the show, we did an entire hour yesterday on the coronavirus and where it stands in Georgia. And one of the things that our epidemiologists uh, pointed out to us yesterday is that it's a mistake to think we can understand the course of the virus in Georgia based on the daily reporting of the number of cases or even the seven-day rolling average, because the fact is it's got a longer tail than all that. With that in mind, uh, Governor Kemp has been able to say the numbers have come down recently, and you point out that he may be looking ahead to changing some of the rules he's put in place. What, What do you think he has in mind? Yeah, he told me yesterday he has no appetite whatsoever for imposing new restrictions on businesses unless things drastically change. He says the numbers don't support that at all. So don't expect him to, um, uh, to cl- shutter nightclubs and, and bars and, and, and reimpose some of the restrictions we had way back in April. Um, he's looking at schools and college campuses. Um, some schools are reopening after Labor Day. He's looking at that to see whether or not to, to I think, relax some of the restrictions on 
on restaurants and other businesses and maybe start to roll back some other because remember all all the way through from april to june he started he was pretty much relaxing restrictions every statewide order until more recently where he kind of held pat so i expect him to kind of angle that way over the next few weeks as long as the numbers keep on going down which is a big if riley not only our epidemiologists on yesterday's show but the white house coronavirus task force has warned georgia that our numbers are coming down only as long as we don't continue to keep in place and perhaps expand the restrictions uh, for Georgians' free movement around the state. So we, we may be feeling fairly good right now, but that doesn't mean we're by any means out of the woods, Riley. And there are political consequences to that. Absolutely. I think that uh, how did the one of the White House task force <laughs> reports phrase it fragile improvements. And I, I think that is why Kent may be so wary about um, any new restrictions is that he's trying to stick with this improvement that he can boast and continue with the improvements in Georgia. All right. You get the last word in today's show, Riley Bunch. And I want to thank you uh, for joining us. Nabila Islam, please come back. It was a real pleasure to have you with us today. Heath Garrett, uh, you're always welcome on the show. And, of course, Greg Bluestein, we enjoy having you on most Wednesdays. Thank you for keeping us up to speed as you do on the campaign. That's it uh, for us today. Uh, as I said, Doris Kearns Goodwin will be with us tomorrow. We're going to take Friday and Monday off because we're getting set for a very intense political uh, season ahead. And this Political Rewind team needs just a little break. Uh, so NPR will fill in for us with the show on Friday and Monday. We'll be back with a live show again on Tuesday. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, get your flu shot. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>